0: Hey everybody, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now before we get started, I want to of course encourage you to go listen to the previous episodes in the feed, um, the last news episode, and the last Thursday episode which is all about the final, 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 for real this time, we promise, hopefully, episode of Attack on Titan. Um, I had a lot of thoughts on that one, that one's a long one, so strap in um but on that note i wanted to also let you know first i'm going to be at anime nyc this weekend so like if you're listening to this on friday on the floor on anime nyc odds are i'm also on the floor or in a panel room somewhere on in anime nyc like i'm findable if you if you are going to M- anime nyc you're like i want to find alex I will probably give you big hints and won't be like hey I'm over here but I, he's like you'll be able to tell it oh he's at anime NYC too I should look for a dude with a big old dopey head and a bad arm <laughs> just like perusing the the uh, dealer floor or something but definitely go um, go find me if you're listening to this at anime NYC just, just go do it it'll be fun for you <laughs> or very disappointing, probably very disappointing. But um, something that I'm not disappointed about is a little project that I undertook about a week ago. And that was a little, that was a thing that involved AI. Now, I am well aware of all the like pitfalls of AI and all the rights issues of AI. But there is something that I, for this show, have to do quite often and that is just Look up shows and look up info about shows. And I've always said, and been really upfront about it, that I am not a production nerd for anime. I'm not the person who can tell you who animated what scene in an anime. But that's still valuable knowledge. It's still out there. I could probably tell you studios off the top of my head, but still, sometimes it's a grind. And if I haven't been paying attention to like the opening credits for a couple for like most of a season, it will probably not be in my head. So the thing I did with AI is something that I really want to specify was specifically about collating the information that's out there and giving it to me in like on a screen. It's because if you're not familiar with like what it takes to go find out, like, production studios and voice actors and who did the music and who was the primary composer of your favorite shows, of which I'm sure lots of you are. Think about your process for doing that. Think about where you'd go. For some shows, you have one answer. For other shows, you have another answer. For some shows, you have multiple answers. For many shows, you have multiple answers. And then there's also weird things like why a show was made or like a really quick summary of the plot of a show. That stuff is all really difficult to like just go find, just do the like internet legwork of going to find it. And as somebody who does a weekly anime podcast, I often find myself just in the need of like finding those things. And a lot of the answers, for me at least, were fairly clunky. Now enter ChatGPT and the newest version of it, ChatGPT 4, and OpenAI, the like company that makes ChatGPT, had a big developer conference, and one of the things they announced there was the ability to, if you're a subscriber and if you like, if you're a subscriber and basically if you've been Using ChatGPT for long enough, because I have not always been a subscriber to their thing. I just started for this. You can now make your own personal what they're calling personalized GPTs, or really what it is—not to get too technical, but it's like taking a piece of the knowledge, or pieces of the knowledge of you know Chat that ChatGPT is capable of putting out to you, and specifying it in a way that's like. I just want something that does this. I just want something that does that. I don't need the whole of the internet ever. But that you can also use that with just normal chat GPT. I need this slice to be hyper functional. And what I immediately thought of was, I was like, actually, it took me like a day, but what I pretty quickly thought of was, what if I had a research assistant? What if I had somebody who could just get me the answers of like, Who voices this character? Who voices that character? Like, what else has this director done? What else has this studio done? Like, the questions we all kind of ask. The questions you ask if you're interested in, you know, entertainment and in medium and in artists. And I very specifically wanted something that was not going to create. Because I don't... I think that the creative part of AI... Or AI as it exists now, are interesting and are useful only for ideation, which means, which if you're not familiar with that word means, only for generating ideas and for figure, kind of figuring stuff out. If you are a person who's listening to this, and you are generating AI imagery and you're putting it out into the world of your own, you are fucking up. You're just fucking up it, because all of that imagery is pulling from other people's work. It is. And yes, there's a, and I've used, I think I've used this, um, phrase on the show before. Good artists borrow great artists steal, but this is a whole different thing. Like it, you are not producing. So you're not, you're not so much producing something as you are commanding something into being, in a way. So I wanted an AI that wouldn't make things. It would more just serve information. The most making of a thing it can do, you'll hear in this episode, which is it can write a really good, concise summary of of the plot of a show. And so I've been messing around with it, messing around with it, and using it, and enjoying it. And... I came across something I've, that I've always not known I've been bad at, which is doing plot summaries of the of whatever show I'm talking about. Not that they're not important; they are very important. But really, what I come to this as a project for to to deliver is what I think about a show. So that's why oftentimes you'll hear me like just go off on a diatribe about a particular plot element. Or go off on a diatribe about a particular character. And I kind of get lost in the sauce. Because I'm not so concerned with what the plot of the show is. So to rectify that, I've used my new anime research assistant to start writing plots. And I'm using the same text-to-speech engine that I use for for the weekly news show to deliver those, to deliver those, um, to deliver that, um, what's it called? That, that plot summary. So you'll hear that in this episode. And on that note, let's just dive into what we're talking about today, which is something pretty appropriate, I think, to everything I just talked about, which is a little show that came out this year called... Anime considered Lunchbox Radio. Now, before we get started on what I think about the show, I want to introduce my AI assistant um, here for the purposes of the podcast, um, whose name is I, to give us a little plot summary of the story for Pluto. So I don't to give a summary. Sure thing, Alex. Pluto is a gripping and complex story set in a future where humans and advanced robots coexist. The plot revolves around Gezik, a robot detective who is investigating a series of brutal murders targeting both humans and robots. These murders are particularly disturbing as they seem to be connected to the highest law of robot ethics. A robot must never harm a human. As Gezik delves deeper into the mystery, the storyline explores themes of discrimination, Um, the nature of consciousness... And what it if means to been be paying truly to what I human. About in the, intro the anime adaptation the is based on Naoki Urasawa's, Urasawa's manga, show which about, itself is a reimagining of Astro Boy by Osamu Tezuka, there's, specifically the greatest really robot on Earth storyline. Pluto, from a story perspective, I'm not like say an Evan Mento. I'm not like somebody who Pluto is one of my like foundational things. Who I love. I love the story. I was actually not, I knew it existed but I wasn't familiar with it and as far as I know it had not been adapted to an anime outside of this so it is kind of Osamu Tezuka created Boy, and created this original plot but it took Naruki Urasawa to like really yeah. hone in on it and give it this kind of Sinister feel that I, it probably had the starts of in the original um, Tezuka version of it, but in the hand of first Naruki Urasawa and then the production team that made this, the anime that made the anime adaptation, it, it gains this. It gains this really interesting relationship with. An understanding of like war the effects war has on people the kind of the kind of and i've talked i've talked about this actually interestingly enough in the in my attack on titan podcast both of them it has it. this show has an understanding of what war how war twists the world and how war spurs the world to be more hateful of each other because it it creates this cycle and one of the, so I'm going to bring a weird gonna bring a weird angle into this and that is the big bad guy the primary antagonist to Wonder Woman the, because the primary antagonist to Wonder Woman is um, Mars the, the god of war And the idea behind him in, the idea behind the depiction of Mars in Wonder Woman is that Wonder Woman comes from this proud race of only female warriors who kind of like keep themselves on the island of Amazonia and they use their, they essentially are super highly trained half god athletes. Is what, is what you're given the idea. They, they they engage in competition, but never real battle. But they are all trained and, like, armed and capable to kill and all this stuff. It's a very, like, martial arts fight so you don't need to... Learn to fight so you don't need to kind of thing. But the depiction of Mars in that... In that that version of Mars, the Wonder Woman version of Mars, is very much not a, like, it, it's a lot more nuance than a Captain Planet super, super villain of the week type of thing. He's not like dumping sludge in the ocean. He's like convincing people that they don't want the sludge they have so they should just toss it out their window. Slowly. And he, and, and a, even in the um Wonder Woman live action DC Universe films Mars is kind of a sneaky asshole who's like slowly convincing people around the world to want to kill each other and that's really what that's really what the what they call the fact finding mission in the in the in this show served that it served as this flashpoint this original not original sin so much as this thing that happened that didn't need to happen that a whole bunch of people learned a whole bunch of the wrong lessons from and so you open so like that so like I said you open up the show on Gazette this at first, you don't realize he's a robot, but pretty quickly, you do realize that he's a robot. Um, character who is a who is one of the seven most powerful robots in the world. And the thing that you don't know, if you don't know anything about Pluto, is, as I mentioned before, this takes place in the same universe as Astro Boy. It is an adaptation of an Astro Boy storyline. But... Afterboy only becomes afterboy, A.K.A. Adam, only becomes the main character at the very tail end of the story. For much of the story, it focuses around this character named named um Gazette, who is a artifact, who is a robot, who was created for the purposes of being a detective for Interpol, but he was also He's also considered to be one of the seven strongest robots just in the world, and so much of the story before, so much of the story before you know what's going on, is makes it clear that you're not just dealing with the story of Pluto and what's happening there, and what's happening with this, like. And by the way, spoiler alert for this that. I um, plot summary was very good about avoiding spoilers, but I'm not going to. I kind of can't for what I want to talk about here. This show posits that robots have rights, and that and that robots have and that the the AI component of robotics has exceeded what we believe what what is possible right now. In that instead of A robot being like just something that does a task or something that you can feign humanity with, like I just did with I, with a combination of I, with the combination of I, which is a voice, a text-to-speech generator from Eleven Labs and a um, large language model from OpenAI working concert to produce something that sounded like a person because that's really what that was I didn't write a lick of that I read over it to make sure that it was correct but I didn't write anything I asked my anime research assistant AI Fujoshi Sensei to summarize the show I also asked um, Fujoshi Sensei to give me production details on the show but um, I asked for Joshi Sensei to summarize the show, and then I asked, and then I took that summary and I pasted it into. Um, I took I took the summary at the end and pasted it into 11 Labs. And the I used an 11 Lab voice called Gigi, which is a voice I use also for the news show, to produce a thing. That sounded like a human being was speaking to you, like a bubbly, poppy, like voice acted, like full on acting cartoon character, human being. But that's what I did to achieve that. To achieve that thing you just heard in Pluto's universe. That's not what's happening. What's happening is something closer to a show I talked about called um, Gene of Eye. And if you want to slot Pluto into a continuum here, think of think of the beginning of that continuum, think of just before Pluto to be something like ghost in a shell, where there are some sent- some AI that are close to sentient, but it's not really common. you're not even sure that's what it is, but like the tech is there. Just it hasn't happened yet, and then Pluto is where it's happened, it's been maybe a decade or two. And then Gene of I is we are so far down the line, like what somebody is doesn't matter anymore. Like, person, like, person, or you know, I think they call them um humanoids, I think, or um, they call them something in Gene of Eye, but this is. Starting to be like that, but beyond, but it's not quite to the to the same levels of something like Genevieve because it's because it's still a real awareness of who's a robot and who's not a robot, and it's it's still a very clear thing. So what I mean by that is. All of the robot characters, although they are human in ways, the show very want very much wants you to believe it at the at the beginning that these robots don't feel in the way we feel they they still they always have like a distance a like they're always like holding everything at arm's length, but the reality by the end of the show is that you understand pretty much halfway through the show is that that's not true the the truth is that every that all of these AIs are have developed the capacity to feel to be to act out of emotion and logic and what you find out ultimately with Gazette who's kind of the main, Story focus of the show is that Gazette had adopted a child, and and, and they have this whole thing where there's a um, they have this whole plot point where there's a robot adoption program where you can like adopt a robot and raise them and whatever, but uh, Gazette and his wife, who's also a robot, had adopted a child, and that's oftentimes, and that is the way that robots have like full family lives in this universe. And to be clear here, when I say robot I don't me I don't mean like beep boop beep boop bop boop, but I also mean beep boop beep boop boop looking robot. In this universe, robots can look like Rosie can look like Rosie from the Jetsons, or they can look like Judy from the Jetsons. It doesn't matter. There are robots who look absolutely incredibly human, and there are robots who look like robot, like wind-up toys from the 50s robots. And what kind of society has started to do, in large part, not entirely there's, there's a plot point where there's an evil, like, anti-robot, like, it's very culty. It feels a lot like the KKK. <laughs> it's the way I would t- describe the anti-robot like terrorist. They feel like the KKK. They feel like the KKK. If the KKK were like, our nation, we can't worry about black people anymore. We can't worry about them polluting the gene pool. We got these fucking can openers everywhere, and that won't do. Um, which I don't feel bad about being biased towards. ...how the KKK sound... ...because they want to kill me... ...and they suck wind... Um, ...but... ...on that note... You, ...so you have this storyline... ...where you come to find out that... ...Gazette had a child... ...the child was killed... ...by one of these anti... ...robot... ...like... ...organization members... ...and Gazette killed this man... ...and I, like I said... The, the core tenet of robot existence is no robot can harm a human. So, I know you're probably wondering, well, how can he be a detective? How can he be throwing the orange detective if he can't harm a person? He's got a gun. He's got two, he's got hands that become guns in the tradition of after boy, end of appendage becomes something. Um, In Gaudette's case, One hand, I think it's his, his left hand becomes a sleeping, becomes a gun that shoots sleeping gas. And for a large part of the show, that's what you see him use. And then, all of a sudden, at one point, he uses his right hand gun, which is just basically a concussive cannon. It just blows shit apart from any length away. It's a problem. And he used that gun to kill the person who killed his adopted son. He, like, he had developed real emotions in a way that allowed him to feel the kind of seething hatred that you would feel for somebody who killed your, your, your firstborn. And he acted on it, and then, because he's a robot, because all robots have memory chips that can be what they can be wiped, and they make a point of, they make a point of this happening. And of it having benefits and drawbacks, and real benefits and drawbacks, because, um, because um. Gazette's memory is wiped by Interpol. Interpol wipes that from his memory because they're like, that was bad. This would always be bad, but he's still a useful tool. And he starts to have... And but in the very beginning of this show, when he's still inve- investigating what they call the horn murder, because there is something... No one sure... People... No, it can't be human, but logic dictates it can't be a robot that is going around and killing both people and robots. It's killed both by the time, um, by the time, by the time you see Gazette. And it's, it's. And they've also done this. They've also done this memory wipe on Helena, his 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 wife. So they've just taken the memory, the entire existence of their son, out of their memory. They don't remember anything. But what's interesting is once you know that information, you can kind of, if you look back at the first scene in which you encounter Gazette, you feel the kind of melancholy of their relationship. Like, there's something deeply wrong there, missing there, that, that that no one's talking about. And you realize afterwards that they couldn't talk about it, they never knew. And so much what this show is about, what this show wants to be about, is ending hatred. And that that's a really lofty saying. It's a really big, like galaxy brain idea that everybody kind of acknowledges will never happen because it it requires it requires this um it requires this like requires this letting go of grievances that humans are notoriously bad at a perfect example a perfect example that's currently happening in order for the Israel Hamas thing in order for the Israel and Palestine thing to just go away Israel would have to shut up and just be happy with what they have and Palestine would just shut up and be happy with what they have If they just did those things, they could move forward together, alongside each other, or even together, and it would be a much better part of the world. But because neither of them have just, like, let it go, because and I want to be clear here, neither of them, all the way at the top, the bottom doesn't matter, the top, have just let it go, everything's all fucked up all the time, and... That's what it feels like is constantly happening, in, in. The, in, in the world in the show. It feels like, you know the. It feels like, there are so many people who are just not letting it go. But what's really interesting is with the exception of Gazette. Most of the seven, the, the other seven robots, the seven robots who are considered to be like the strongest robots in the world, are. have let it go. And the reason largely they've let it go is because A, one of them is Adam, and Adam is just trying to be a real boy, Pinocchio style, with his sister. And B, many of them have, including Adam, have been involved in this like. They've been involved in in this versions in this world version of the Iraq of the beginning of the Iraq war. Of the thing that was used as the excuse for ripping Iraq apart, for ripping the Middle East kind of like a new one overnight, which is if you're not up on your recent history of Iraq and the Middle East, um back when I was in like middle school, high school they sent people on a hunt for weapons of mass destruction in iraq and they found none but they invaded anyway they started a war anyway they i think they claimed they found them and whatever but uh, that whatever ended up being this huge conflict that like is a huge is is a huge black mark on the world because America just let, just poured violence into a into a desert country and killed, mil, and got millions killed, it got thousands killed, rather, and what you're seeing kind of alongside the Gazette thing is you're seeing the you're seeing the. consequences of this of of this of this system that has done this done what they call a fact-finding mis- mission and i think they um they call they call the weapons they call they have the idea of like someone making a robot of mass destruction a robot that's capable of like killing people and also killing like huge amounts of people at once and what you find out ultimately is that the robot that was created wasn't created to kill people. It was repurposed for that by some by somebody who was um, I think his name was I think it was Dr. Hoffman who was, whose family was taken from him in the resulting war looking for that for this mythical robot of mass destruction. But it was originally created just to um to repurpose the deather into arable into arable, usable land. That's all it was created to do. And so there's this really interesting like tangent that the show goes on where you're learning about this guy who was a robot I forget his name but he he had a Middle Eastern name um, he's not listed in the um, thing that's a problem um, but um, he he ends up he ends up like he ends up becoming this like Tool of hatred and rage and destruction, and the so the one thing that I will say that I was not a huge fan of in terms of this show was that it introduces like this primary antagonist who I'm sure if I was deeper into Naruki Urasawa's work or Osama Tezuka's work, I would know, I would know, I would just know their name, but. It's just like big teddy bear. That's a big. That's like a big baddie that ultimately gets killed. That ultimately gets killed by um. By, by Baru. This like evil, this evil robot who. This evil robot whose AI allowed him to kill somebody, so they basically kicked the shit out of him and stuck him in a big old hole for. The rest of it. For most of his life. And for most of the scenes in this thing. And everybody's terrified of him. But he's... Everybody's terrified of him. And they put these hilarious... Like... Weaker than normal barricades in front of him. To kind of say like... Okay. He can't make it past this point. No. If he still had his legs... He could step over them. But you broke... You broke this freaking Lapida robot so hard that it can't move for shit so like you could have just left him over there you didn't need to impale him with his own weapon too that seems excessive but you're scared of what the possibility is of this thing and he's the one who said to Gazette like oh I know what happened to you you learned how to hate <laughs> like you, that's in you now bud it will never go away sorry <laughs> Like you learn how to hate. This is the deal. This is how a bad emo. This is how emotions feel. Welcome to it. You got both sides of the coin. Whoopsie daisies. And <laughs> he's kind of like he's kind of like somber, but also a little jovial all at the same time. The show gives him this very Hannibal Lecter treatment, but his ultimate like his ultimate purpose in the show is to kill the like. Main antagonist, who is this like evil robot teddy bear? Who uh, they kind of, kind of don't do a great job in the show. I wonder. I'm curious to see what it's like in the manga. They don't do a great job in the show of like suggesting that he was there the whole time. He just kind of shows up after like a certain period of time. You're like, what is this fucking weird teddy bear in a basement somewhere? This is weird. Um but all of these different like cross points happening to mostly robot characters are results of from what you understand, humans thinking, hey, those 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 humans over there, the ones with the brown skin, have something they shouldn't have. Go get it. And even the like even the stand-in for Saddam Hussein is kind of livid at people because he really just he wanted to create a robot that would that would make that would repurpose desert land to be usable. He wanted to stick to his own playground and make it better for everybody there, and they decided that somehow he was building something that was evil and they needed to go find it. And what they and so they keep coming back to this shot of this big kind of like mass grave of robot parts. And in in this universe, when a robot is destroyed, they treat it like somebody's dying. Like when the the Adam dies for a period of time in this show and they like they want to hold a state funeral for the for the kid like he is not a real he's not a real person in the way that he was born but he is a real person in the way people feel about him and he's like a world famous kid and robot engineers are less ...are not only just scientists, but they are like... ...celebrities in their own right because they are the people who created for or who care for robots. So when you meet Dr. Tenma, the character, the, the roboticist who created Astro Boy, he's like revered as a genius because he is. And he... But he's also pretty quickly seen as, like, oh, this guy's guy's done some fucked up shit. Like, this guy's done some fucked up shit in the name of progress, in the name of understanding. That, like, maybe, maybe, maybe we shouldn't have let him put, take that toothpaste out of that tube. And the long and short of it is, is that it's just, like, that hatred, that conversation about hatred that that's very similar to the conversation about the cycle of hatred and violence in um in attack on titan is fine-tuned here to make you understand that nobody who's dealing with the problems here are the people who called the problems? In many cases, there are people who expressly saw the thing as a problem and said, "I want nothing to do with that." Here's why: if you're smart, you'll not you'll not do this. But I'm gonna go the fuck over here. And I want to end this. I want to end this with talking about um one character in particular. A character named Epsilon. And Epsilon is one of the seven most powerful robots in the world. Ultimately, he does die. But he's kind of calling cards that he is a true pacifist. He doesn't want anything to do with the war or the... But he does everything he can to make up for the fact that a war happened on his watch. And everyone regards him as like a truly powerful robot. And he is, it's clear that he's like, he's, his power source. he's got a, he's got solar cells, so he's power sources, he takes it from the sun, he can fly, he glows when he flies, he can create a force field whole thing. But everybody kind of comes to the realization that Epsilon was probably right like not participating in this shit show of a fact-finding mission or a war in any way was was the correct move like the the even even the thing Adam did which was go and negotiate like the peace treaty after the conflict was over was a step too far because that was acknowledging that the conflict was correct, that the people who started and won the conflict were correct, and that was feeding into the hate, to the hatred of the thing, and that hatred would ultimately create a scenario in which somebody wanted to end humanity, and which the little evil teddy bear mastermind was like okay with. Allowing human, allowing because it also wanted to end humanity. And and hilariously, and of course, because because of course, the person in it, the person who's helping this push this along, is the president of the United States or the stand-in for the United States, like the United United Eurasia or something, like some stand-in for the USA and some big old blonde doofus as a president. But so, so it's it's really interesting. It's really well done. It it gets a little meandering at the end. It gets a little meandering and makes and it, like it, it only makes some loose sense in some places. But what it's trying to say and what and, what it's, and the understanding it has about hatred and the like. the the formation of hatred and where it comes from and where it can come from and the diversity of what of what it can look like is really interesting. In a really interesting touch, because that the main character for much of the show, the where his hatred stems from has nothing to do with the case. And for much of the show, you feel like, like, oh, so his memories are related to this case. Is he the killer? Is he the person killing people? No, he killed this one person for this very specific reason. But that had nothing to do with what he's doing now. But the thing that links the two is the intense emotion, negative emotion that Dr. Tenma caused call it calls it of hatred and this show is setting up a does a good job of setting up a character or characters because um gazette's memories full set of memories is then transferred to adam and make forces adam to feel that intense hatred sets up characters who've experienced that kind of hatred, but have either allowed themselves or been forced to be removed from that hatred so they could look at it from an out- from the outside and say, okay, I understand what this, what's causing this, and hopefully I can stop it somehow. Um, but on that note, if you like this episode... Um, New episodes of the podcast come out every Thursday and every Wednesday. Wednesdays are more um, our new shows. They are um, I, who you heard read the plot summary of Pluto in the beginning, um, gives you five stories from the anime industry that week. Um, these show these shows are more review shows. I will be taking a break from the 27th till the, from the 27th of December to the 16th of January, because I will be going to Japan. So for three weeks, you'll be not without me, but you will be, um, I I'll be it'll be more sporadic because I'll probably treat this like a place to like put cool updates about shit I'm up to in Japan so if you're interested in that um, definitely check in from time to time in those three weeks and you might find some goodies um, I'm not promising though because I'm not promising anything to anybody this is my trip and no you can't have a part of it unless I give one to you <laughs> um, but also on that note look out for updates about anime NYC Over the weekend because after every. After every day. I will probably post. A um, audio log. Of like what I saw at the con. All this cool shit. Whatever. Um, But on that note. I've been Alex. This has been Lunchbox Radio. If you like the show. Be sure to um, review it in your podcast app of choice. And subscribe. Also and let a friend know. Come find me at N A N Y C I will talk to you probably Friday night, maybe? Probably Friday night, Sunday morning, that kind of thing. Um, so see ya then.